Okay. Uh, we'll try for a few more shots at summer before fall truly attacks us. Although if you look at the forecast, I think tomorrow night it's supposed to be, what, 34 or something? So perhaps get out one more sweatshirt or something. It may not quite be winter coats yet, but perhaps more than no layer at all. Um, Friday for class, first 10 minutes or so, there'll be an individual here from the Career Center giving a little bit of a spiel about the virtual career fair for cafes that will be next Wednesday. So that I don't know how that's all going to work, but it's the, the virtual career fair goes from, I believe, one to six. Well, maybe it's only one to five, but how you can connect, how you can wander around instead of wandering around all of the union to visit the 100 plus different potential employers. There'll be someone here from Career Center to talk a little bit about that for about 10 minutes at the beginning of Friday. So we'll just record her so everybody can hear that. <clears throat> But that gets most of the people who are closing in on either definitely needing an internship or potentially graduating out of this department. I figured this, if I'm gonna give you a chance at one class, this one hits most of the people who really are in search of a position. So uh, Kayla, Kayla will be here right at 11 for about 10 minutes or so on Friday. Okay, um, practice your photography skills. Bees are a real challenge. The other one that's a real challenge are hummingbirds. Hummingbirds tend to not stay in one place very long. And to get them at a shutter speed where you can actually see their wings is really quite an adventure. I've Tried that a couple times, but I've never been able to get a nice just shot of the hummingbird itself. But I got a bumblebee, so find, find a, an obscure thing to do to start practicing your skill set other than focusing 100% on work or school. So, um, We've been talking about safety and record keeping prior to last time when I, I believe I was able to share the short clip from Sherry Conkey related to uh, her perspective of COVID and how it's impacted uh, food process injury industry, not injury, industry. I hope there's not a food process injury. That's what we're trying to prevent. We're talking about safety. Um, so hopefully you got something out of Sherry's comments. They are all 
posted up there, I believe. The challenge was I found out the only way if you were not in this room that you could hear that was through this microphone from the speakers. So if I moved too far away from the speakers or covered it up so I could cough, you could no longer hear, which is a bit of a problem, but I guess I'll just have to stand right in the doorway and make sure for the next few speakers we have that you'll be able to hear. Because otherwise I think it worked pretty well, but I did not, did not know that my wandering around a little bit changed the volume because I got further from a speaker or not. I discovered that as I rewatched it and I went, oh, well, I was standing over. I figured out that I had moved and I did that to all of you. So going forward here, we've been talking about safety. And oh, one more reminder. Paper one is due on Friday, 5 p.m. Email copy, if you don't hand me an actual paper copy that you've printed off so that I can then write comments, review it, see if you covered all the topics I was hoping you would related to figuring out how to personnel a new plant. Okay. Yes, now I'm done with my own announcements. Did you ever get yourself confused by what you were going to say and then you, yeah, okay. So here we are. Accident prevention. Accident prevention is good business. I think we may have done this slide, but I don't know that we've gone beyond this slide. If we work through making sure our facility is safe, we reduce our insurance rates. Insurance rates are costs that we would then have to prorate across all the product that we make. If our insurance rates are, you know, $10,000 a month, then we've got to figure out how to assign that cost to everything we make. Well, if we could take it from 10,000 to 9,200, we've got a tremendous difference in what we're having to prorate. So reducing our insurance rates clearly is to our advantage. If we keep people safe, if they don't feel like they might be injured on the job, they're more likely to stay with us. The less turnover we have in labor, the less time we have to spend on all that stuff we've been talking about for the last month. Figuring out where to recruit from and doing the interview process and getting people in and inducting them and training them. If we don't have to keep repeating that, we can focus on our production instead of those other overhead costs that are necessary to have once, but to do it four times a year for the same position doesn't make a lot of sense. If our employees know how 
to work safe and the equipment is in init initially in good condition that will allow them to stay safe, there's less likelihood that they might have an incident and damage the equipment. Right? Some pieces of equipment doesn't take a lot in cost to repair them. Others, you can be looking at a repair bill anywhere from a couple thousand to tens of thousands of dollars just in the repair bill. And you needed that piece of equipment. If you don't have that equipment available to be online doing what you need it to do, now you have reduction in efficiency, slowdown on throughput, all of these things will build on themselves. So that safety program has some real value. You don't have to pay the workers' compensation. You don't have to pay the bill at the emergency room because your employee had their finger stuck in a machine and they had to be taken to emergency. At that point, all of those costs belong to your company. If you've ever done that on your own, you realize that that is not an inexpensive proposition. To end up having the ambulance take you to emergency and spend a few hours there, quickly put you over a thousand or two, to what gain to the company bottom line? None. So it reduces those types of costs. If equipment is working, if the employees themselves who are trained to do the job are there, we keep the efficiency going of our process. As long as that's occurring, then very likely we will be producing product on the schedule that we originally planned. Our deliveries stay on time. If our deliveries are able to stay on time when expected, then our cash flow is maintained. But any interruption in our process tends to directly lead to an interruption in cash flow. The question is how much? But anytime we interrupt that, if we don't have cash coming in, we can't pay the bills. If we don't pay our bills, then people don't supply us. It's a vicious cycle, a downturn. Pretty soon we've lost all our public image as a good company to be working for, and also our image as a good company, as a good corporate citizen. So keep those deliveries on time. All of those things decrease our overhead costs. <clears throat> so what do we need in this safety program? What are the basics to start from? First and foremost, you must have buy-in from the top. If your upper level executives do not perceive there to be value in a safety program, you're never gonna get it properly implemented. Part of that's an image thing. 
these things that all of us are wearing right now are part of a safety program, right? Trying to reduce the possibility of spread from one person to the next. If you want an example of this, University of Notre Dame, probably most of you are familiar with Notre Dame, right? Has a fairly extensive policy in place for all of their students. However, three times in the last month at public events, the president of that school has shown up without the mask. Now, if that is occurring, how do you keep the students following? That's just one example. I mean, there's many others, but that one, if you don't have top management buy-in, you don't have the ability to get everyone else following. So it has to start from the top. Top management buys in, and the other thing top management must do is provide the fiscal resources to enable the program to function. Just because they say, yeah, safety program is great, but if they don't give you any backing, any resources to actually put it into play, what's the point? So we have to start there. There has to be provision of resources and a belief from the beginning at the very top that it's a valid. If we don't have that in place, how do we enforce the rules? If I am the director of the quality department at my process facility, but I'm also charged with being the safety officer, I'm charged with enforcing the safety program for everyone in the company. How do I do that for the director of maintenance or for the head of purchasing or for some other person on a hierarchical ladder? If I don't have clear directive from the very top that that position as safety officer has enforcement abilities, it all falls apart. It can't just be that the director of quality has control over their subordinates. They have to have control over others within the overall structure of the business because it, it crosses those silo lines of maintenance or production or QC or purchasing or whoever. Safety is going across all of those. And the only way we can do it, monitor it and enforce it, is if the people at the very top have clearly granted us that authority and permission and they're willing to back it up. So that's the first and foremost. People at the top have to say, yes, we agree, we're gonna do this. Because otherwise, if they just give it sort of lip service on the way by, we don't get very far. An individual is charged with this program. 
this individual has to be willing to step on some toes, to cross those lines from one silo to another silo to another silo within the company and make sure everybody's following that umbrella safety policy. If you have a very timid, introverted person who doesn't like to talk to anyone who might understand the policy completely, but doesn't have the personality to enforce it, they're probably not the right pick as a safety officer. You have to have a person who can put that authority into play, not in an offensive manner, but in a consistent and reasonable manner so that everybody knows we're playing the same game. It doesn't make any difference who I am. Safety is across the company. It also helps if the person that you've placed in the safety officer position has a fairly broad background and is able to do inspections of the whole facility. If the safety officer has strictly a laboratory background, that's fine. They understand a lot about laboratory and laboratory safety procedures and pathogens and such. But if they have zero engineering background, then they need to find somebody else who they can trust who can go with them out on a walkthrough inspection of the facility and look for physical and engineering challenges that also can be leading to accidents or repeated incidents that result in lost time. It's not often we get a person who has all of those skill sets at once, but that individual, whoever that individual is, has to be granted sufficient authority from the top to enforce it. <clears throat> so as you walk through a facility, whether it's a meat processing facility, a cannery, a cheese plant, a milk drying plant, they all have some basic similarities, right? There are certain hazards that might be there. Like if the hoses are left across the floor, it's always gonna show up as a trip hazard for anyone and anywhere, right? If the floor is consistently wet, it's a slip hazard. Well, there are areas within any facility where you can identify that that's going to be true. And then the personnel who work in those areas need to be properly attired to minimize the chance of that occurring. Ventilation systems. If you're talking about chemical storage areas, the ventilation should be different 
than strictly a dry goods warehouse. The ventilation in a can, or the ventilation in a process area, especially if you're talking about high humidity, lots of steam involved in the process, needs to be different. Those are actual safety hazards that can be come a part of the issue. And if you don't feel comfortable with identifying them within your inspection team, you need to be able to look at all those things, right? Guarding, insulation on pipelines. Is it allowed? Where is it allowed? Where is it not allowed? Can somebody put their hand on a pipe not thinking about it or lean over a little bit and end up touching something that's operating at 180 degrees? Well, there's a lot of opportunity in process facilities that that might occur. Is it properly guarded? Do you know where the hazards are? Do the individuals who are working in those spaces know that they have specific hazards? Maybe you've got, you're working on an evaporator and you've got to go up to the top to check on whatever the system is. Well, suddenly the conditions at the top of the evaporator are quite different than at the bottom. They're usually like 30 degrees warmer. Is an evaporator a pressurized vessel or a negative pressure vessel? Those are two different things. An evaporator is actually a negative pressure. It's working under vacuum. So if you happen to have something break there, is something gonna blow out at you or be sucked in? Potentially it would be sucked in, right? So the individuals working on that, are you wanting them to be running around with their loosely fitting lab coat not snap together or anything so it can get sucked in? Or do you want to have control of their attire to minimize those chances? The lab coat is fine in the lab. It's probably quite inappropriate up on an evaporator deck. So thinking about the mechanical hazards, you have to go through and Whoever that safety officer is needs to have confidence that they can identify those challenges. Then they have to do a sales job. Convince the others who are the supervisors, who are the operators within that part of the facility as to the value of following through on the safety protocols as they're written. If you have issues with, from your own standpoint, you can't see the value in why you would follow that safety procedure. How can you assure that your employee group will follow that set of procedures? If the supervisor doesn't have buy-in, 
will the supervisor enforce with their employee group? And if they don't, is it only their employee group that, that is subject to the potential losses and costs and everything we outlined before? No, it's the entire company. So we need to be able to have some sales, some ability to convince and get people to be on board as to why that safety program is of value, not just in that area, but to the company as a whole. Records. We're gonna really deep dive deep into records here over the next couple of days, but safety records, they're simple. Everything from when somebody gets cut and needs a Band-Aid to when they slip and fall, that should be documented. The really severe ones, the lost time incidents, are almost always documented. It's the little ones that get forgotten. But we should be documenting those too so that we can eliminate all of the guesswork of where the risk areas are. If we have somebody who consistently gets burned operating one piece of equipment, but we never write that down anywhere, how are we going to properly address the issue that results in that consistent burn? If it's not documented, quote, it didn't happen. We know somebody got a burn. We need to follow through, take the guesswork out, and work towards accident prevention. That way we can actually get in there, measure costs assigned to recurring incidents. That's why we want to do records. They're going to help us. So the safety officer which some of you may want to become, and many of you are probably gonna run as far away from this position as you can, but that's okay. You need to develop a program, a protocol, a series of things that are going to occur. There's activities involving some basic training in engineering. I've got rotary parts here. How do I handle rotary parts? I've got a vessel under high pressure. Does that change conditions versus neutral pressure? Yes. I've got to develop some training protocols for everyone. I've got to monitor all the records and the safety. I've got a bunch of duties all thrown into one thing. I become the internal inspector, not necessarily the internal auditor, but the internal inspector. I'm looking at the physical facility. Are there areas where the finish on the floor is worn? Are there areas where we're starting to get mildew build up on the walls, which would indicate we don't have proper ventilation, which not only is bad for the facility and potentially for our product, but also for the health of our employees who are breathing in an environment that is not 
having proper air exchanges. So we need to be able to do all of that and follow up. This is part most people do not like. Someone slips and falls, goes backwards, whacks their head on the side of a piece of equipment, gives themselves a concussion, and also breaks their arm. Okay? Why? If we can't come up with the why all of those things occurred, we're going to be challenged to resolve it. Why did the individual slip in the first place? Number one reason, they did not replace their shoes often enough and the heels are worn. That's often something that companies need to consider and it's actually much better for them to have a shoe replacement policy on a schedule. TJ. So it depends on the area. I mean, maintenance needs different shoes than the folk caught on a process floor has different shoes than the folks in the lab, right? But if we want good waterproof shoes with um, oil-resistant soles that have a decent tread pattern, we're looking at about $90 replacement and probably doing that about every nine months. So that's fairly expensive. But if you pay one hospital bill for the person who slipped and fell and cracked their head open, the paying for the shoes covered it. So it's, it's what is your risk management? What is your self-insurance basically? If you're willing to self-insure by buying shoes instead of paying for your increased insurance policy premium and your increased workers' compensation because you have higher incidents, it's all comfort level. So it sounds like where you were, they sort of are saying, well, we've got potentially a little risk, but we're not sure that we want to spend that much towards it. And maybe they've got such a tight policy everywhere else that it's all been damped down. But if it's going to lead to increases in your insurance policy, premiums, in your workers' comp payments, everything else, maybe that shoe policy isn't a bad idea. It just depends on how many other parts of your system are working well. But the number one thing that happens in any food process facility is people slipping and falling because their shoes are worn out and they didn't want to go spend the 100 bucks, 150 bucks on a decent pair of shoes that'll keep them from having bad ankles, bad knees, bad back, and also stop them from slipping and falling.
how often do we replace them? And how often do we get that many? Once a year. So that's a reasonable risk policy to help them lower all their other costs related to safety. It's, it's policy, but that's one of the things. So you gotta investigate the injuries, figure out what happened, identify the whys, and figure out if there's some overarching policy you can do, some specific addressing of a situation to have that minimized. Conducting safety meetings. Yay! Everyone's enthused about going to the safety meeting, right? It's part promotional, part training. You're a cheerleader, you're the trainer, you're trying to sell people on why they need to be following the policies that are in place, all with the intention of decreasing the overhead costs that would be related to safety issues and hopefully increase the bottom line instead. So you've got a lot of things to try and do if you're the safety officer. You have to maintain all the, all the records, injury reports, safety statistics as are mandated by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, by OSHA, by whomever, there's lots of layers to those, but you usually get to do it. In any process facility, there are utilities, right? So I'm in my facility and I now have a fire. But one of the items within my facility is a spray dryer and the burners are gas fired. Do I wanna leave that gas line live while there's a fire anywhere in the facility or do I wanna be able to shut that gas line down? How do we assure that the first responders, the fire department knows where the shutoff is? The safety officer has been having that conversation beforehand. Anytime you do an alteration of the physical facility, if you change the location of the main power source coming in, the change the location of the gas coming in, you need to make sure that all of those first responders know where that is so they can cut those utilities before they go in because no one wants to go into a burning building when there's still a two inch line feeding gas in there that could then become a blowtorch if that line is cut. So that's, that's part of the safety officer's responsibility. They may have to ask the head of maintenance if that's not the same person where all that is, but they're the liaison between the other agencies, between the insurance carriers, first responders. That's part of their listed duties. What changes are out there? Are there any things that have developed that can help with accident prevention? 
One of the big things in the last decade for lots of workers is the change in the types of gloves that are available. There are gloves now, clearly, especially in the meat industry, where you can be running around with this knife that is designed to cut through, you know, a side of pork, but you can also have a glove that will keep you from cutting through your own finger. That did not exist 15 years ago. Developments, changes, you know. If you look at construction workers now, what do you see on all of them? Are they allowed to wander around the construction site in their gray t-shirt? Well, they can have the gray t-shirt, but what else do they have? They have a safety vest. They must now have this fluorescent green vest on so you can find them anywhere. They also typically will have some sort of head protection. Hearing protection, that's variable, but there are certain things along the way. Are all hard hats the same? No. There are variations. There are entire publications that come out every month that all they do is show you the new developments in safety equipment. They're generally free. The advertisers pay for them because they want you to know about these things. But you need to keep track of what that is. Quite often, a process facility, if they're of any size at all, will have a plant physician on retainer. They'll have somebody who they will consider to be their medical officer. Does that mean they're 100% employed by the company? No. But does that mean if they have an incident, they always go to that same person because that's their respected point for medical information? That's what usually happened. The liaison between that person and the company is typically the safety officer. So you get all sorts of wonderful tasks. And oh, by the way, this is usually an add-on over and above whatever task you got hired for. They just said, oh, can you be the safety officer also? Just because you didn't have enough to do. So basics of safety. I'm going to guess most of you in encountered this as first induction training. How do you lift something? Well, you just lean over, right? And pick it up off the floor. Well, the answer is no. That's a really, really bad idea. How do you lift? Right? Everybody needs to know that. And if you catch somebody just leaning over to pick it up off the floor without bending their knees, you need to correct them. Because that's going to add to everyone in the company's chance of increasing the profit margin. Every machine should have safety practices involved with it. Make sure they're published. Make sure that safety protocol is in place and everyone 
understands it for that particular item. In the dairy industry for decades, we had our number one favorite step stool. Anybody know what it was? It's a milk crate. And if you were not quite tall enough yet, you'd just make it two milk crates, right? Do you know the problem with milk crates? If you stand perfectly in the center, they're not so bad. If you stand a little bit on an edge, they're fairly good at acting kind of like a hockey skate. You pop it right up on the edge like a blade. Well, you already have the floor all wet and a little bit slimy because it's got some cream on it, and you're up on the edge of the blade. Is that a safe thing? No. Put a fixed ladder in wherever you possibly can. And try and have that ladder not absolutely vertical, so there's a little bit of an angle so you can lean in towards the vessel, whatever it is, as you're going up the ladder. But the use of movable ladders should be minimized and kick stools, which inherently become five-gallon pails or milk crates. Oh, but you'll still find employees who just can't quite reach that. They'll kick the pail over, flip it over, and then stand on it, and you're like, it should cause you to be very... Uh, <clears throat> worried about them, and then you have to tell them why that's not a good idea for anything. But fix the ladders wherever, ever possible. Practice good housekeeping. If you keep continually picking up after yourself, if you're running product in a blend room, make sure all those bags as they're dumped go into the trash retain container instead of on the floor. Because if you just pitch them out on the floor, and then you have to come down from the deck where you were dumping, what do you step on? A bunch of bags all over the floor, which may or may not be in a wet environment. Have you ever stepped on a bag when it's on water? Kind of like a sled going down the hill. Not a good idea. Practice good housekeeping and you'll be much, much safer. PPE, make sure you have it, employees know how to use it. Have any of you ever been trained on how to put in an earplug? You stick it in there, how do you make sure it's far enough in the ear canal to actually do what it's supposed to do? You have to squish it, right? Did you ever learn that from somebody or you just over time went, this doesn't that should be part of the training. It's a PPE, it's personal protective equipment. Does every place in a process facility require you to wear the earplugs? Are there certain areas that do? Well, if there are areas that do, and that's part of the potential where you could go, you need to have your earplugs with you. How do you keep your earplugs with you if they're not in?
Where do you put them? Stuff them in your pocket? That's what I would prefer. Tied to the bump cap so they're not just hung around your neck. They're actually tied, but they're always on a string. So then you can put them in. They should also be metal detectable earplugs. So if you happen to lose one off the end of your string, you can still figure out where it went. But everybody needs to follow along. If your company policy is that everyone has safety glasses, then they need to be on their nose, not on their forehead, right? In my case, I'm gonna need something other than just safety goggles because if I put them on over these, they're gonna fog up immediately. But if I don't have these on, well, you guys all went away a little bit ago, it's fine, right? So you have to be able to have some variation for eye protection, but still make sure that that happens. That's all part of the things that the safety officer is trying to keep track of. Sometimes it's to your advantage to have trained personnel within your facility who know first aid. Sometimes it actually becomes an insurance liability. And that's dependent upon the distance from the most probable first responders. If you're 30 miles from the nearest hospital, then you probably should have someone in your facility who clearly can do basic first aid. But if it's a mile down the road, the insurance risk of having the person do the basic first aid and do it wrong versus knowing that in a reasonable amount of time, the first responder could have arrived, you get those challenges. So it's not an absolute, it's based upon location and size, right? But there needs to be some provision of thought related to first aid. Do you want someone resetting somebody's leg in your facility? Probably a bad idea, right? You don't want to go that far. Do you want to be able to stabilize them enough so that when the ambulance can get there 20 minutes from now, depending whatever it is, that you can have that? Yes, right? You need to think through how that works for whatever your operation is. Look at the working conditions, check the machine guards, check for rough edges, check the floors, they start to wear out, make sure this floor would be horrible. If you have an epoxy coated floor, which is now what the main process room is in the Davis Dairy plant, is that smooth or does it have texture? It has texture. There's four, four levels of texture you can put in an epoxy floor. And you need to decide based on slip hazards, cleanability, 
potential environmental risks as far as other things that might embed, which of those levels you want, but you don't want a smooth floor. Repetitive tasks, things that people do all the time, make sure that they have the right equipment to, for the job. If it's a task where you're going to be working on something that's, you know, it's got a two and a quarter inch hex nut on the end, well, don't attack it with a pipe wrench or an open end wrench. You're setting yourself up, one, to destroy the nut, two, to destroy your knuckles as it slips off. Have the socket that fits it properly with the breaker bar so you can actually address it as it needs to be done. Having the wrong tool creates so many other potential issues. Put things away. Make sure the guards are where they belong. Make sure everybody understands pasteurized or process pressurized piping. If you've got the potential that something's under 400 pounds of pressure, don't let somebody go up there and start twisting on the tri-clamp, right? If they twist the wrong way, you'll blow whatever the solution is out of there at 400 pounds. You ever been hit by a 400 pounds uh, pressure? If the material was at room temperature, it would feel bad, but if it's at 140 degrees, you'd be in trouble. I've run out of time, totally. We'll talk a little bit more about safety on Friday after Kayla is here giving us a little briefing about that job fair that the college is putting on next Wednesday, and then we'll probably move into record keeping. <laughs>